Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show with the host that men want to sit down and eat with him and women just want to beat him. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is another wonderful, warm summer evening as I sit here and record this here in, uh, well, Huntersville, North Carolina, where it's hot and humid because it's summertime. Uh, On tonight's show, I am going to do by multiple, multiple requests a uh, blend review of the new GLP's Tobacco Penny Farthing, which is a shag cut. So I'll have my have my review of that for you in pipe parts. Then my guest tonight is somebody who may be familiar to those of you that uh, peruse the forums. His name is Lucky, and he's uh, created a pipe smoking accessory that uh, that's different, exciting, and uh, cool all at the same time. So you'll have to hear about that. Um, Music, mailbag, rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, This week I am uh, cramming because this Saturday we leave for, uh, well, we leave for Europe for uh, 10 nights. Uh, uh, One of the reasons I'm cramming is I've got to record two shows ahead for you. Uh, those two shows are going to be jam-packed because I've already recorded the interview parts and boy, are they going to be jam-packed. That's, <laughs> that's all I can tell you. Uh, but anyway, part of the, uh, part of the fun of travel is, uh, you know, getting ready to go and heading over. And this time, when, instead of flying over on American Airlines, we're going to try out Norwegian Airlines. So I'll let you know what I think of them when, when I get back. Uh, that show will be on, I guess, uh, three weeks from today. Uh, but yeah, uh, we'll be in Amsterdam for uh, four nights and then off to Denmark for five nights and then back home again. So looking forward to the trip. Looking forward to hopefully some uh, cooler weather in Europe and maybe some uh, sidewalk cafes and sitting outside and smoking my pipe. No, I'm not going to go buy any of that stuff in Amsterdam. I don't need it. Anyway, all right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back, and all right, blend review time, and I think I had five, maybe six different uh, direct emails or requests to review Penny Farthing. Uh, so so in, in all honesty, the first time I had it was a week ago Sunday at, the, uh, at my local pipe club meeting, the Aromatic Pipe Farts. I was not involved in... Uh, or the aromatic farts. I was not involved in naming the go- naming the club, um, but I had a bowl of it while I was sitting there, and I was uh, I was intrigued. So of course, you know, next thing I do is I get home, 
And I order not just one tin, but I ordered six. One to open right now and review. And based off of that one bowl that I had sitting at the club meeting, I knew that, you know, five more to sit and age for a couple of years might not be a bad thing. All right, so here's the uh, description off the back of the tin. It says, Penny Farthing, a shag cut blend of bright and red Virginias, spiced with Louisiana Perique and a hint of fire-cured dark Kentucky. Easy to pack, easy to smoke. Sipped gently, Penny Farthing opens with a sophisticated sweetness, evolving in depth and complexity throughout the bowl to a rich, satisfying finish. All right, so there you go. It's got a little, it's primarily Virginia's with a little bit of Perique and a little bit of dark fired in there. And I'm, uh, so let me, let me say my first impressions of it was uh, just out of the tin. It's got that real tobacco smell. Um, I think my uh, dear friend, Greg Pease, I think I know what he was going for with this blend. And I think he's getting pretty close to it. I will be really interested to see how this blend ages, you know, maybe a year or so. Because, again, this can that I've got in front of me, um, it was put into the tin on uh, June 17th. So it's been uh, sitting in a can for, you know, for a month. Um, I think he was really going after a uh, an older style tobacco it kind of reminds me a little bit of some of the dunhill three-year matured made by murray's back then and that has a traditional tobacco taste to me it's a very uh, easy smoking tobacco uh again this this one in particular with penny farthing the moisture level is absolutely perfect in the can you don't need to dry it down at all uh, you need to be careful packing it because if you pack it uh, too loose, it's going to burn really quick because it is a shag cut. Uh, if you pack it too tight, you're going to have a hard time drawing it. So play around with the way you pack it to get it to the right level. Um, I will point out my one, my one real complaint with it is that as a shag cut, I would have liked to have seen more longer pieces of tobacco. Uh, more two to three inch long shags of tobacco. This one seems to be this tin that I've opened and the tin that I saw last week uh, all tend to be shorter tobaccos. Uh, so with that, you know, it does it 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 did fall a victim to being overpacked too easily. So you have to be careful with that. Um, I didn't get a lot of perique out of it, but then again, I'm a periqueaholic, so. You know, hard to say. I got a little bit of that dark fired out of it. I see what he's talking about on the label about how it changes in flavor. Uh, but one of the things I noticed once I got it packed the way I liked it, probably by the third or fourth bowl, uh, it's a really smoky blend. And what I mean by really smoky is a medium-sized puff on it and you're getting a lot of smoke in your mouth it's it it burns really easily at that point and the flavor is just kind of overwhelming um i will warn you i think that if you're a little um nicotine con uh, nicotine sensitive this may not be the blend for you but again it's got some 
interesting older traditional tobacco flavors in it styles in it uh i think the uh i think the virginias will benefit from a little bit of time in the can uh there's not much air in the can so i don't think the um i don't think it's going to age real fast not like a uh, not like a flake that's got a ton of oxygen in it uh but again it's something that you know maybe in a uh uh, may, uh, it might be absolutely perfect for like a smaller pot-shaped bowl or a prince, something that's got a little bit wider opening to it and a little shorter bowl. Uh, I found that if I put it in too big of a pipe, it just started to get just overwhelming on me. Um, and again, if you're nicotine sensitive, be a little careful back down on it. A couple of reviews to read from uh, tobaccoreviews.com. And uh, Ron R. says, I'm loving this blend. First off, I love a shag cut. Easy to pack. You can, you can even overpack it and probably get away with it. Uh, two or three touches of the flame, and most times you can put your lighter away on this one. Plenty of bright Virginias and reds. Perique is very present as well. I've been smoking a fair amount of exclusive recently, and I can readily pick up on the Perique in here. The Kentucky adds some body, puts off plenty of smoke. On occasion, some of my bowls get a little harsh at the end. Uh, you know this is going to age well, solid blend, but I'm not surprised considering this pedigree. And he gave it four stars. Um, and again, it's a brand new blend, so there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of reviews to really choose from. But we'll go with that one. Uh, and again, my, my word of warning to you is just make sure that you smoke this one really slowly and, uh, you know, make sure that you're, uh, not real nic nicotine sensitive to you. So there you go. GLPs is penny farthing. And in just a minute, uh, we'll have lucky on with me. This is internet radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is a listener, a pipe smoker, a... I'm I'm gonna call you an inventor, and uh, and I'm also gonna refer to you by just one name because that's exactly who you are and what you are. So, Lucky, welcome to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Thank you very much, Brian. All right, so let, let's go back. Let's get your uh, your superhero origin story. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And did your parents actually name you Lucky? Oh, of course not. What kind of crazy person would name their child Lucky? <laughs> you name a three-legged dog Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, born in London, England to American parents. 
when I was about two, we moved to the suburbs of Chicago, and that is where I grew up. And that's why you have that lovely Midwest accent instead of the London accent. Yeah, I didn't even get uh, mum out of the deal. <laughs> and you and you drive on the right side of the road. I do. I've I've been to England and rented a car. They'll let you do that, which is kind of nuts. But uh, <laughs> I've driven on on what is by birth the correct side of the road, and it feels very wrong because, of course, I learned how to drive in Chicago, where we drive on all sides of the road and the sidewalk. So, how long did you live in England? Uh, my dad lived there working uh, for the company he worked for for 40 plus years. Uh, they had an office there. He lived there for four years and I lived there for two of them from, from birth to about two years old. So it's kind of like me in San Francisco because, you know, I was there in the 60s and I don't remember anything. And there's a lot of people that were there in the 60s and don't remember anything. <laughs> that is what I've heard. Yeah. All right, so what did what did you want to be when you grew up besides a pipe smoker? Uh, you know, that changed a lot as I was growing up. I can distinctly remember uh, wanting to be a fireman when I was, you know, four or five, and then <laughs> wanting to be a roboticist when I was a little older, and then realizing uh, my science wasn't quite up to snuff to that. And this was in junior high school when the science level of education the, the bar I wasn't hitting was pretty low, honestly. <laughs> uh, and uh, tried a couple things. I have a degree in anthropology. Oh, boy. For no real reason. Well, no use, anyway. <laughs> uh, and then I became a woodworker. I have been a professional woodworker making furniture for people for about 20 years now. So I'm going to save that clip and play that for my mom, who has a uh, master's degree in linguistics and anthropology and taught it all of her life. So, <laughs> um, and, and all right, how did you uh, how did you get the name Lucky? Uh, well, in between the college I got kicked out of, which is where I started smoking a pipe, and uh, the university I eventually graduated with a I made it useless anthropology degree. It's not inherently useless. I just didn't use it. Um, I worked a bunch of manual labor jobs, and one of them was in a warehouse, big place. It uh, made assembly line parts. So it was an assembly line making assembly lines, and that included, <laughs> uh, I think they were 150-pound AC motors that would drive the, the line. And they were six to a pallet, so they were kept on the high shelf. The little 15-pound motors were, you know, 200 to a pallet, so they were kept on the ground. I was on one side of the aisle counting itty-bitty parts, which was my job, and somebody was on the other side of the aisle, and their job was to pick things with the forklift. So they grabbed a pallet of the motors, and it shook, and two of them came down over the aisle and landed about 10 feet from me, putting a crater in the slab floor of the warehouse. Uh, they let me go home early that day, which was nice of them. Uh, my hands were shaking too badly to count itty-bitty parts. So uh, when I came to work the next morning, everybody started calling me Lucky. And thus the superhero known as Lucky was born. <laughs> yes. All right, so you mentioned smoking a pipe. When, did, when and why did that start? That started that first crack I took at college. Uh, so 1992, I went, uh, from the suburbs of Chicago to Southern Illinois university in Carbondale, Illinois, 
there was a proper tobacconist uh, in the town part of town, the, the part the college students didn't go to. Uh, my grandfather had smoked a pipe when I was a child, and I had fond memories of it. And uh, Lord knows my brains weren't going to make me look very smart at college. So <laughs> I wanted to uh, get myself something that would. So I wandered into the tobacconist. I bought a pipe, a uh, Ben Wade freehand for $30. Wow. He set me up with a, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a cherry aromatic, although I don't remember, uh, matches and cleaners. And I went back to my dorm room because you could smoke in the dorm room. And I taught myself how to smoke a pipe. Yeah. So that and was, it's the, been, uh, and that was like pre-internet and everything. So you were relying on the tobacconist and your own, your own trial and error. Yeah, he was uh, he was a nice country gentleman. Uh, he ran his store wearing overalls. Uh, <laughs> I went back one or two more times to get uh, some different tobaccos. Uh, I don't, I can't say I befriended him. I don't even remember his name or the name of his store. I'm sure it's not there any longer. Um, but yeah, that's that's what got me started. So were you were you hooked from the start? Yeah, it uh, it agreed with me. Uh, I'm a pretty fidgety guy. I like to have something to do with my hands. Um, so the fact that there was something that was regulating my breathing and, and making it so I could read for long periods or think or whatever I was supposed to be doing in college and yet still busy myself physically uh, agreed with me very much, even if the cherry tobacco didn't. And was, was this kind of before you discovered your love of woodworking? Uh, yes and no. Woodworking was my dad's hobby. He's an engineer by trade, a chemical engineer. He had a job for a big oil company. Uh, and woodworking was his hobby. So the tools were in the basement and I had been messing around with them since I was tall enough to see over the tops of them. Uh, it didn't occur to me that I could make it my job until later on. So I'd imagine there was some appeal to your woodworking desires to look at that look at those pipes and hold that piece of wood. Yeah. I recognized it as a made object, especially, uh, you know, the one I ended up buying first just off of the wall. There was a, a, a Ben Wade freehand. It's, it's the only one of its kind in my meager pipe collection. I'm not uh, really attracted to them anymore, but it, it stuck out to me then. And probably because it was a, it was a, a made object and I couldn't, immediately identify how it was made and did did you become a daily pipe smoker instantly no i probably smoked um when i was having trouble reading or when i was trying to impress somebody <laughs> uh, and both those things happened often in those first couple of years of college all right. When when did the uh, when did it really catch on? When how long after were you buying the second pipe and the third pipe? Uh, so after I flunked out of that school, uh, I moved back to Chicago. I had all those jobs. I got my nickname. I, I was able to uh, restart my my life by my own terms, as every uh, teenager wants to. Um, there was a tinderbox in the Woodfield Mall. Uh, run by Dennis D'Amico, who uh, was one of the two men who started the Chicago show. Yeah. 
Um, and he employed a guy named Jim, who was a friend of mine socially from the music scene. Uh, so Jim found out that I smoked a pipe and brought me to the tinderbox. And that relationship is what really got me going. I bought uh, several pipes from Dennis and Jim and, and tried just a lot of tobacco. Yeah, I mean that that tinderbox is almost yeah, it's almost legendary in what went on in that in that one particular tinderbox, and now we hardly have any tinderboxes left. <laughs> oh, it was a tiny room, and and a couple of strange things happened to me in there. All right. Uh, in addition to all the things I got to try and see, I was also uh, threatened with a uh, collapsible baton. <laughs> <laughs> on, on purpose or yeah dennis had one and he uh was eager to use it and you know i was a kid with green hair and a leather jacket who didn't really look like he belonged in the mall let alone in uh you know the old man's gift shop of a tinderbox tobacconist so he decided to uh chase me out when a couple old ladies came in to look at uh, christmas ornaments or whatever <laughs> I, I'm, I, you, all right. You threw the green hair and the leather jacket in there, <laughs> hoping I wouldn't notice it. But so, so that that's part of the uh, finding of yourself. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It was, we, it was one of the things I tried on. Yeah, we won't talk about some of the stunts I pulled. Um, but we will take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more with Lucky, and then we'll get into the Scusa, which I'm, I've am i seen it in person, and I'm excited for it. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, We've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, non-green-haired, non-leather jacket, non-punk bastard kid Lucky. Um, so just going back to the green hair and the, and the leather jacket, was music in your life for a while? Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was a very limited range of music that was in my life during that time, but I listened to it at a volume that made up for the variety. <laughs> that's like that's like this show if you think it's bad if you think it's bad now just turn it up and make it really loud um, <laughs> all right let, let's jump into the when was your first chicago pipe show that i've been thinking about lately because uh, i just went to the most recent chicago pipe show after a, a probably 17 or 18 year absence from them 
Uh, I can remember going to an Indiana Briar Friars show in the mid-90s with some uh, some cabinetry that I had built, a, a wooden pipe rack. Um, and I remember the very early Chicago Pipe Club meetings that uh, Jim dragged me to. I was strictly a spectator. I was not at all a participant in, in <laughs> what became that great club and that great show. Um but yeah, I think probably 2000, 2001 was the first Chicago show I went to. One of the first couple that was at Pheasant Run. And I guarantee if you had green hair at the Chicago Pipe Show, people would have noticed you. <laughs> oh, sure. When I when I sort of reemerged into the pipe world socially uh, last year, I, I started going back to club meetings here, the Chicagoland Pipe Collectors Club. And I introduced myself to the group that way. I said, if anybody here has been a member for 25 years and you remember a kid with green hair or purple hair and a leather jacket, that was me. <laughs> and Dino spoke up. He's like, that was you. <laughs> That's funny. So, all right. So the, so the woodworking, um, you will, you actually design stuff from scratch and custom build all kinds of furniture and cabinetry absolutely i do and and, and how uh, does <laughs> how does somebody get into that and how and how does somebody find out about you uh well let's see there's only a couple ways in there's the uh old school way where uh you fail out of factory work and there's the new school way where you fail out of art school <laughs> And uh, in, in the furniture, I'm sure there's other ways to do it in places that have more organized industries. But here in Chicago, that's that's the two ways into a wood shop. So what you either uh, came from a big old union factory that's now closed or you uh, came from a, an art school design program and you have no idea what you're doing. So what exactly do you do you make anything? Oh, yeah, I'll make anything. Um, I make. Freestanding furniture, mostly. I have a full-time job working for a company called Troscan, T-R-O-S-C-A-N, and they make very fancy stuff. Uh, they are represented in, in galleries around the country, and here in Chicago, they're in the Merchandise Mart. Ooh. Yeah, it is fancy. It is, uh, I like to say, furniture I can't afford based on what I get paid to make it. <laughs> <laughs> I, when, when I worked at uh, the Alfred Dunhill store in Beverly Hills, I couldn't afford anything that I sold, so I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> There's a lot of people in that boat. Yeah. And then on your own, will you do uh, custom work for people? Yeah, on my own, I have a, a little portfolio that I'm pretty proud of that can be seen at liveformdesign.com. L-I-V-E-F-O-R-M, design. And then now let's get let's get into the, the SCUSA and take me from the beginning and explain the name of it and the idea and the creating of it. All right. Uh, so SCUSA, S-C-O-O-S-A, is the self-contained Utahus smoking attaché. <laughs> So it's a little bit like scuba, uh, but I didn't like it with the U. And uh, my wife and I took a trip to Scotland last year where we were able to catch up with the uh, Caravig Pipe Club 
who do a fantastic thing that I can describe a little bit later. Uh, but talking with those fine Scottish gentlemen sort of put Ut the Hoos in my head for for this thing. And that means kind of like out of the house? Yep. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. In, in, uh, in whatever passes for uh, the Scottish accent out that way, uh, a house is a hoose. And and a bothy is a lean to on the middle in the middle of the coast where anybody can just kind of uh, collapse there. Uh, bothy is a uh, let's see what are they called on the maps rudimentary shelter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Scotland, they call it home. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, yeah, I I couldn't tell a lot of difference between uh, the occupied farmhouses and the abandoned farmhouses that were that had become bothies. Yeah. They're just uh, small stone cottages. So going back to the to the Scusa, it is literally a it's a small cabinet, I guess is the best way mm-hmm. to describe it. What maybe twelve inches tall and and six eight inches wide, so it it would easily fit in a backpack if that if that's a is that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. So they come in a, a two-pipe or a four-pipe case, and you're, you're correct to describe them as a cabinet. The, uh, the line I was using at the show, at the Chicago show, was, uh, you know, take your whole pipe cabinet with you instead of just a pipe bag. It's a hard case, uh, leather-wrapped. It has a front flap that folds down with a uh, cutting board on it, so you can work uh, plugs or flakes, and then you can slip that cutting board out of the flap and fold it up and load your pipe with it or pour your excess tobacco back into your tin inside of the the cabinet section. There's space for either two or four pipes and uh, three tins, stainless steel tins of tobacco of your choice, of course. Uh, And the tins all have a uh, silicone gasket in them and the shelves are spaced so that there's just sort of a friction fit and it puts just a little bit of a squeeze on the gasket and I have had tobacco stay fresh in them for uh, two weeks in the dead of winter. And then, and this thing literally, and it all closes up and folds up, and and again, it's leather wrap, so it's kind of you know the wood's protected, you know. But at the at the same time, you can literally take your own personal cabinet. Does it have a little drawer, if I remember right, for accessories? It's got a, an accessory tray up at the top and a, a little sort of pear-shaped cutout for a pipe stand while you're loading your pipe, or if you need to get up and walk away from it for a moment, you can set it down there. So you have literally thought of everything that a pipe smoker might need on the road with them, and and again, it holds two or four pipes in it. Um, is there is there some feature that you were trying to work into it that you just couldn't get in there? No. No. (laughs) Um, I was trying to uh, find a way to make it a six pipe, but that made it pretty unwieldy. It's about eight inches tall, three inches deep. Uh, The two pipe is also about eight inches wide, and the four pipe would be about 12 inches wide. And uh, a six pipe, even if I alternated sort of bowl up, bowl down, um, to make it a little more compact, that was just getting uh, beyond briefcase territory. Uncomfortable to carry uh, from a shoulder strap. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon you'd have to put wheels and one of those expandable arms uh, handles on it to roll it behind you. Yeah, I'd, I'd be 
getting out of my own area of concern at that point. If, if you want a, a mobile display case for a complete collection of pipes, you know, for a seven-day set, or if you are of the type that smokes 10 pipes a day, uh, we can talk about something. But uh, currently, that is not built into this idea. Where are these made? Uh, they are made right here in Chicago in a shop that I work in. So, made in America, all all wood, all leather. Uh, you're just now launching them to the public, correct? Yeah, the uh, Chicago, the table at the Chicago show was my big debut. <laughs> and how and how did the debut go? The debut went uh, about as well as you would expect a debut to go. <laughs> uh, it was. Uh, well thought of. A lot of people were excited about the idea. Not that many people put money down. Uh, near the end of Sunday, I was talking with uh, your friend Mike McNeil. Uh-oh. And after he got done uh, yelling at me about the state of tobacco and the tobacco business, yelling at me more than, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just Mike talking. talking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, he looked down and, and noticed that there was a person in front of him. And said, uh, what have you got here? And I told him about the, the Scusa, and he said, how are you doing with it? And I said, well, I'm getting a lot of uh, good responses, but not a lot of sales. And he says, well, it's a new idea. And I said, yes. And he said, oh, yeah, people here hate that. <laughs> but if you stick around five years, they'll be loyal as bulldogs. <laughs> well, and I always say the first year you show up at a show, people look at you cross-eyed. The second year, you're you're their best old friend. So, sure. Uh, it, yeah, what, and I I can put that time in. That doesn't bother me. Yeah, th I, I think it's a good idea, so I'll stick with it. And, and thankfully, you don't need to. You're you're not feeding the family with this. So, uh, no, I, I have a full time work and and plenty of other things going on. This is uh, this is evening and weekend time here. What are the prices of these of these scuzas? So a uh, two-pipe case in uh, either, what would you call it, men's, men's leather goods colors. What is that? Black tan and cordovan for uh, belts and shoes and wallets. How fancy sounding, um, but sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about uh, red, black, and brown? There you go. Does that sound better to you? Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, so uh, two-pipe case in any of those three colors of leather uh, is... 375 and a four pipe case is 425 and it's pretty much just the extra leather that stuff is sold by the square foot and where are they going where are they available uh they will be available at scusa.com f-c-o-o-f-a.com so we can uh, we can all take a look at them take a uh, take a gander at them and uh and See, yeah, maybe it it actually sounds like, especially for somebody who travels a lot with the construction of it, I bet the pipes are dead on safe in there and all the materials, because I saw them and I looked at them and I was thinking this is actually the perfect thing that if you're going to be traveling for a week or so, uh, everything's protected and everything is airplane and TSA safe and ready. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the whole idea was, uh, either packing it up for the, 
just to go to your pipe club meeting or for a weekend away or a week away, depending on how much you smoke, of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't smoke uh, a lot. But yeah, so I had been um, uh, a pipe smoker for quite a long time. Uh, and for about eight years or so, I was in a really happy rut. Uh, I had one tobacco that I would just order a pound of every few months from smokingpipes.com and uh, a couple of pipes that I liked, and I would just uh, smoke at the wood shop that I was working at at the end of the day. And I go to uh, reorder about a year ago, a little more than that now, and uh, they say it's unavailable. And I do a little bit of poking around, and I find out why. It was a McClellan blend. <laughs> and I said, well, what happened to McClellan? They were an old favorite of mine. They were I had been smoking them for uh, uh, quite a long time. I had gone through many happy experiments with their product. Um, so I uh, got on the internet and I found Pipes Magazine. I found your show. I found the uh, forums. I found out what happened to McClellan. And I found out I better get my butt out there and discover a new tobacco. Uh-oh. So uh, living in the city as I do, I was able to go to a pipe club so I just started going to meetings and I started hearing about all these other kinds of tobacco the stuff I had experimented with 20 years prior and, and given up on. I hadn't had anything with Latakia in it in yeah, two decades. Um, and uh, everybody was very generous with uh, their opinions, of course, and also <laughs> their tobacco. So uh, I started having a need to carry more than one pipe and more than one tobacco. And some of these tobaccos were flakes, which I had never screwed around with before. And, and there were plugs, which I'd never even seen before and ropes and coins and all the business. Um, and even the people who had nice leather work pipe bags, those bags just have space for one European flat 50 gram tin in them. Yep. And space for an old boy lighter and space for a, a check tool. And then a lot of wasted negative space in that half of the case. So <laughs> these guys would have these, these lovely pieces of craftsmanship, but four or six pipe bags. And then they would have uh, a briefcase or a shoulder bag or a backpack full of mason jars and tins. And even then, two bags now. Even then, if they had a flake, they were rubbing it out on the lid of the tin. <laughs> or carrying their tins in a Walmart shopping bag like I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it works. It's got handles. It holds the stuff. Yeah. Uh, but so that's, that's sort of where the idea was born, um, <clears throat> was of that need. And the, the work surface and the ashtray were the first two things that I knew I had to work in. Um, and I, I experimented with a couple of little design tweaks of, you know, what opened first and settled on this. The front flap comes down and there's the cutting board material on it. It's just held in with elastics. You can remove it from the case if you want. You can work it, work your tobacco on it, curl it up, load your pipe, put, 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 
excuse me, three, two, one, load it back into your tin and uh, go on about your day. And there's an ashtray with a cork knocker in a tin at the very bottom of the case that you can pull out. So when I smoke at my shop, I don't put hot ash into a trash can full of sawdust, which is something best to be avoided. And so it's also environmentally friendly because your dirty pipe cleaners and stuff like that can end up in that little ashtray wherever you are. Yeah, and then you can throw them away wherever you prefer, your, your neighbor's trash. <laughs> or at the gas station like I do. Um, <laughs> all right, really better idea. Real quick, before we wrap this up now, how many pipes has your personal collection blossomed to? Uh, I have a cabinet that I made um, in the mid-90s. It was actually the, the model for the cabinet that I took to that Indiana Briar Fryer show, and it was the first piece of woodworking that I finished, even though it frustrated me. <laughs> uh, I, I was really great at, at starting things, not a lot of follow-through in my teenage years. Uh, but that pipe yeah. cabinet, which I still have, even though I could do a much, much better job of making it now, um, holds 11 regular sized pipes and two church wardens. It's a, a slot for a church warden on either side of the two stage rack and a, a big drawer that absolutely swelled itself shut in summertime <clears throat> full of all the, uh, pipe socks and cleaners and everything. Uh, so that cabinet has dictated the size of my pipe collection, and I've never had more than the 13 pipes it can hold. I, I love Those it. pipes have changed. Uh, yeah. And, and and you're forced to have two church wardens at a time. Yeah. Uh, my wife has a Meerschaum church warden that she keeps in there. Oh, so. uh, and I have uh, an old Tim West uh, paneled church warden. Uh, which is the reason I was able to graduate with that anthropology degree, because it has a huge bowl, and the length of it is just such that I could sit in my dad's old easy chair, which I had in my college apartment, and uh, rest the bowl of the pipe in my sternum and read the you know 300 pages a week of very dense material that I was required to know. <laughs> yeah and then you find out at the end all anthropology goes back to the monkeys and uh not the ones that were on tv <laughs> it's uh it's a fascinating discipline but if uh if you want to get any value out of it you have to put in uh for a lot more than a bachelor's degree which <laughs> i was not of a mind to do Lucky, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Shoot. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is a hickory sort of freehand quarter bent pipe that I got from uh, Dana Busa, who was a Chicagoland Pipe Collectors Club member at probably that 2000 or 2001 Chicago pipe show that I went to. And what is your favorite tobacco? I am thrilled to be trying any tobacco anybody puts in front of me uh, these days. But I have in this uh, last year of experimenting 
found a real fondness for uh, citrusy Virginias. Uh, Germain's Medium Flake being my current top of list. And what is your favorite drink? My favorite drink for taste or my most often drank drink? Well, whatever you want. <laughs> uh, for taste, we'll, we'll pretend for a second that I'm sophisticated. Uh, I really like bourbon. Yeah, and just remember, we already talked about you having green and purple hair, so. <laughs> um, I guess I can't fake being uh, sophisticated. All right, I like beer. <laughs> when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, I prefer my pipe and reading. And obviously not anthropology textbooks. Um, no. <laughs> And finally, do you have a favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't talked about? I do, and I have to tell you that in that sort of rediscovery of pipes and the club and the shows and uh, the Pipes Magazine website and the forums and your show in particular, uh, I have given this question a lot of thought. Listening to your radio show, uh, the current episode and at least one archived episode has been a fixture of my working life for the last year or so. I'm sorry. Uh, and <laughs> I don't mind so much. Okay, good. <laughs> um, one of the pipes I bought at the tinderbox in the mall was a Peterson Captain Pete, which is a little quarter bent bulldog pipe. Uh, and I got to show it to my grandfather. This is when I was 19. He was still alive. He didn't smoke anymore. Uh, but I showed him the pipe. I brought my little pipe bag long before the scooses and, um, and he held it up and he said, Oh, that is a lovely quarter bent bulldog. <laughs> so he admired my, my $45 mall tobacconist pipe. And that is my fondest pipe memory. Again, the website is scoosa.com. Check them out. They're really cool. Uh, if you're worried about the price, just remember these pipe bags and and some of the bigger pipe bags are seven, eight hundred to a thousand dollars, and this is all uh, made and assembled by hand here in the USA. Uh, it's a great little idea, and I I look forward to all the people that get them and have uh you know and have all these uh travel memories with them uh you know what else i'd work great for is if you've got a second smoking location in your house and you just want to park it somewhere where it's convenient so lucky thanks for uh, doing what you're doing and uh hopefully we'll uh, see you at the next chicago pipe show and uh somewhere out on the road you're very welcome will do and we'll be back in just a minute a Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio.
And we are back. Uh, when you get a chance, do check out and see what uh, see what Lucky's doing. Look at his furniture too. That's some <laughs> some really cool stuff. And uh, you know, just a really talented guy, unlike me. Um, all right, for music, we're going way off of the uh, pipe smoking related music, and we're just going to something that I like. Uh, I was a fan of the movie I Am Sam. Uh, starring Sean Penn. If you haven't seen it, it's a uh, part tearjerker, part inspirational. It's one of those small movies with a great script and with a great cast. All right, that's you know, no no big car crashes, none of that. Um, but one of the things that I really like about it is that the Beatles music is part of the storyline because the character Sam is a fan of the Beatles. Well, what they did was instead of uh, instead of using the actual Beatles songs, they had you know folk singers and popular singers from ten, fifteen years ago sing some of the sing the Beatles songs for them. This one is uh, "Blackbird" and it's sung by Sarah McLaughlin. If and if she smokes a pipe, God bless her. If she doesn't, I still love this song. Anyway, it's the Beatles, "Blackbird," and Sarah McLaughlin. Singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings And learn to fly All your life You were only waiting For this moment to arise Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see All your life You were only waiting for this moment to be free Blackbird fly Blackbird fly Into the light of a dark black The uh, movie came out in 2001, stars Sean Penn, Michelle Pfeiffer. This was the first uh, big role for Dakota Fanning, and it's just a 
anyway, if you're if you want a good movie and you want to sit down and think and feel without watching stuff blow up or people get killed or aliens invading the planet or a giant shark, this is the perfect movie for you. Well, let's see what's in the mail. In the mailbag, if you have a comment or question, you can email me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or you can go to Pipes Magazine and post it right on the radio show page. Uh, going back to last week's show, uh, where is it? There it is. Dillagas says, Brian, you're killing me out here. I was driving with one hand and taking notes with the other. So many great pipes and tobacco and so little time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, there is a uh, replay function that you can replay parts when, you know, you can replay the show when you get to a place where you can, I don't know, you know, like stop and write it instead of while you're driving. But, uh, yeah, I guess there was a lot of information in last week's show. And also, Bob Bittner commented about the, uh, Eric, about the Nording tobaccos that, uh, uh, that were made and distributed. They were made by McClellan and then distributed by Arango. And I, you know, I'm pretty sure that those recipes were actually, uh, and the, and the blends were actually kind of owned and run by, uh, run by McClellan, so I would imagine that Arango or Eric Nording would try to revamp them, but it's going to be hard to do that and hard to match it because, yeah, again, it might be a new product, um, or if it's something that's got that McClellan ketchup to it, that's going to be really hard to replace. Uh, and then an email that I got from uh, Jess. Jess says, I love the Wayne Powers interview. Wayne's love for pipe smoking and his joy around everything related to it is highly contagious, and I've shared this episode with several friends. I was particularly elated when he talked about how if we enjoy the hobby, we should talk to people about it, particularly when people show curiosity. I'm about four years into the hobby now, and initially I was rather sneaky about it and was a bit reluctant to introduce people to it for the fear of creating some sort of horrible addiction in their lives. As I've gotten as I have gotten deeper into the hobby, however, I have become more and more convinced of the wholesomeness of it and have gotten more courageous about introducing more people to it, which has led to more enjoyment. I think that the biggest problem in the pipe community is not the FDA, it is the fact that not enough people know anything about it or appreciate it. So when Wayne went on his little diatribe about sharing the hobby, I found myself yelling, Amen. Thanks for bringing him on, and for the show in general, keep it up, Jess. Uh, Jess brings up a great point there, and one that I haven't mentioned in a while, is that you know it's important that we as pipe smokers get out and smoke in public, and when somebody asks us about pipe smoking, that we give them good solid information and get them started on the uh, get them started on the right path and as far as I can say you know look there's nothing wrong with smoking a pipe it's when it becomes a nasty addiction and you know what you know I, I know a lot of I know a lot of pipe smokers that have never inhaled and enjoy their pipes and have lived long happy lives and I know a lot of people that smoke a pipe a couple times a week and enjoy it just as much. So, yep, we need to get out there and we need to be more visible and more willing and open to talk about our pipe smoking. 
All right, over on iTunes, we've gotten a couple of reviews. Uh, three of them, in fact. Uh, the first one, the most recent, was Political Junk by A-K-H-E-L-O-C-E, -E, and it's a one-star review. Uh, and, his, and the comment is, was a pretty good show until the political rant, I'm done. So I guess I pissed somebody off. Oh, well. Uh, and then... Uh, the day before that, uh, Snow GGGGMKCM gave five stars and says, This is good stuff. A great podcast to listen and relax to. Also full of great info. And then uh, finally, uh, about a week ago, Stonehand, Stonehand CO writes a five star review. Great podcast for the pipe smoker. I enjoy this podcast. It's giving me great insight into pipe making and pipe tobaccos. I'd like to hear a little more information on tobacco products for pipes. Maybe Brian could bring on more tobacconists. I love the artisan pipe makers, but in reality, I can't afford to buy most of their pipes. Maybe you could have on some representatives for factory brand pipes like Stanwell, Missouri Meerschaum, Rattrays, or Savinelli. I love to hear where and how they're manufactured. Um, I'd like to have somebody from Stanwell on, but it's just a brand being made in, uh, in an Italian factory now. Uh, Missouri Meerschaum we've had on. Savinelli we've had on. Uh, might be time to revisit with Savinelli. But, uh, yeah, and then we had uh, uh, Glenn from uh, Peterson recently. So we'll try that. And I've got a couple of tobacconists coming up. If you have somebody that you would like for me to interview in particular, please send me a message and I'll try to get them on the show. I love hearing those ideas. Anyway, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. If you are looking at uh, Christmas plans for travel, email me. You know, if you're going anywhere, just let me know what you're doing before you go and book it. and That way I can uh, make sure and try to help you and save you some money if I can. And in other news that was uh, popped up this past week, uh, yes, the Dunhill blends, those Dunhill branded blends will be back, and they will be back under the Peterson logo. Talking about Peterson, and we talked about the blends coming back because the trade names were purchased. If you want to, if you want me to talk more about how that or how I think that worked out, you know what? Let me know, and I might do a pipe parts segment on it, but. Those blends that were being made in Denmark by Scandinavian Tobacco Group, instead of saying Dunhill's Early Morning Pipe, they're going to say Peterson Early Morning Pipe. All right, rant time is next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869.
Well, this is part rant and uh, part for your information, because if you're on iTunes or if you listen on iTunes, which is now becoming Apple Podcasts or iPodcasts or something like that, uh, they're also restructuring. Uh, they're restructuring a whole handful of things behind the scenes, but they're restructuring the layout in front and. Going forward, uh, they won't have games and hobbies anymore. It'll be leisure and then hobbies, and I don't know why they decided they needed to change that, but they decided to change that. At the same time, they also decided that some of their functions weren't working quite right, and they needed to fix them, so how did they fix them? Well, for example, the... uh, Searching by uh, hobby or by category was broken or is still broken for for now. The top episodes is only for the entire iTunes or you know all podcasts. It's not broken down by category anymore. Uh, and when you go to do a search, it's messed up. So apparently, their idea of fixing this and getting it. I guess what they're doing, they're also going to separate it from the music part and. Uh, they're going to have Apple Music, which will sell music instead of having iTunes. And it, their idea of fixing it is to break it first, have it be dysfunctional completely, and then tear it to pieces, uh, I guess. Anyway, there's a lot of front-end functions that are not working right now on iTunes for me, and I'm operating off of a Mac and an iPhone, and it's all broken, so... Anyway, iTunes, you know what? You're the uh, you're the big one in the game, but <laughs> you may be falling apart. Um, anyway, just for those of you on iTunes, just be aware that there may be some glitches coming up. All right, uh, just a reminder, next two weeks we'll still have shows for you. Still be doing shows for you. You'll get a new show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure and share the show with your friends. Uh, share it with your enemies. Share it with your in-laws. Share it with some outlaws. We don't care. Uh, But we'll have new shows for you at 8 p.m. Eastern time every Tuesday. I want to thank Lucky for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. Oh, thank the maker. 167 hours until I have to deal with this guy again.